Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 54. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm thrilled to have on my show Andrew Wilkow. He's a conservative political talk radio host. The program can be heard Monday through Friday on Sirius X and Patriot 125. He works every day. To make the Wilco Majority the most popular program offered by SiriusXM Radio, because it's based on one thing and one thing only, rational thought. Andrew, welcome to the Dose of Leadership Podcast. How are you today? Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's good to be here. Well, you know, I'm so excited because I, I listen to you on my drive to work. Sometimes I got to drive in really early as I go to fly, and they, they replay it on XM at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm driving. And that's when I came across you, and I love your stuff because you're different than most, and I love how you um, are the pursuit of the truth and the common sense and and looking at the facts and that you you say your arguments can't be disputed, and I love your style. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Bring us up to speed on what got you passionate about the pursuit of the truth and where we're at in the state of America. I, I was never raised in a particularly political household. My dad didn't call it libertarian. Uh, his father fled communist Russia. You know, the, the great American story uh, of, of a legal immigrant. He came here with nothing, you know, worked his fingers to the bone, eventually became a business owner. Uh, a very strong business owner, manufacturing children's clothing. He gave my father all the things that he never had. And my father, uh, when he graduated college, he also became a small business owner after being an accountant for, for a lot of years. And he always believed that the government was more of a problem in the marketplace than it was ever a solution, that the more the government takes out to spread around, the less there is for the private sector that generates that revenue to have to operate, you know, it's in its interest. So he never called it, we never used the word libertarian, but he always believed that, that as long as the government get out of, got out of your way, you could pretty much achieve whatever it is you put your mind to. And that was kind of how I was raised, but I didn't really consider myself somebody that paid a whole lot of attention to politics until college. And I was in college when when H. W. Bush was going out and Bill Clinton was coming in, and it felt like all of a sudden there was this tidal wave of political correctness. You know, rock music became serious, uh, you know, way too serious. There were people you couldn't look at anymore. There was all of a sudden food you couldn't eat and jokes you couldn't tell. And I rejected all of it, and that sort of put me on the path. You know, my father never nudged me, but I think he enjoyed watching me, you know, sort of traverse towards his way of thinking all on my own. So that's what put me on the path, and I, I, I found myself 
reading more things after college on my own and my own interest than anything I was ever assigned to read. And certainly I found myself unlearning a lot of things in the process. Yeah, that's interesting, the unlearning process. I would say the same thing with me. We're about the same age. I'm a little bit older than you, but I, I, I th- think back, even when I joined the Marine Corps and I got commissioned back in 91, and I still remember some of the arguments and some of the kind of um, standard um, intellectual lazy, I would call them, kind of arguments that I even believed back then. And I was raised like you, a libertarian. My mother was very conservative, but I just never really got that engaged. And even when I got as an officer in the Marine Corps, and it wasn't until I started, and and that was right when Clinton took office. And so this, I, and I noticed the same thing that you're talking about. So it's interesting that as you get older, you start to become more politically engaged. How how do you feel now? I mean, like me, I'll go back to the to the um, election just a few months ago. And I got to tell you, I really kind of checked out after all that. I was almost so burned out from all of the the coverage and the disappointment of of what happened. And that's when, and when I started doing this podcast and I started checking in and, and talking to people and entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, making things happen. And I started feeling energized again that there's a lot of great things out in this country. You deal with this on a day to day basis. How do you stay motivated and positive about the future of this country? Because I've convinced myself that that if you are good at attracting an audience, examples of the failures of big government progressivism will present themselves, and then you can use that to sort of break through to people that maybe either never thought of it or, again, didn't go through the unlearning process. I mean, you might have somebody who's an otherwise intelligent person, may have a good job, run a business, and complains about taxes. And, you know, if I just moved here or if I moved over there, there'd be good schools and lower taxes. And But you ask them how they vote, and it's in the complete opposite. You've got to take that person to the next step. You've got to help them make that connection without insulting them, questioning their intelligence, um, infringing on the fact that they are, are probably not up to speed on these things, not because they don't understand them, but because they're too busy to wrap their heads around them. I I really get sick when anyone says, oh, the American people are stupid, or the average voter doesn't understand. And you get that, you can get that from any political persuasion. My basic assumption is that people are busy. If they've got a job, a commute, kids, want to have some semblance of a social life, some of this stuff is just too much at the end of the day. And if you're going to present information to somebody, you better darn well do it in a way that makes them want to watch it, kind of like a professor who just drones on versus somebody that really engages the students. Yeah, you know, and that kind of gets to the heart. I guess when you're saying that, I kind of get to the point now that kind of hits me on the head, what makes makes you a little bit different than most. Because what you're doing is you're being a teacher. I mean, you're being... And not that uh, the other radio hosts aren't, but there's something that that's attracting me to your show is the fact that you're you're in the process of teaching or unlearning. Before you can teach, you're trying to unlearn them, right? Is that what, you, what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, so so much of what is taught in college. Here's a simple way to start the process: you say to someone, "So you studied this, and now there are certain aspects of of uh, you know certain." majors in the university that a person must have experience in to teach. I mean, uh, if you're in teaching in a medical school, you probably did not just read a series of papers and books and then write a series of paper, maybe a book, and then become a teacher. But that is the case for many, many other majors in the university. My own major is a perfect example. I was a journalism major. 
Yeah, how many times, I, I, I can't even tell you how many times I had a professor teaching me how to do something in radio who never did it themselves. Right. So when you look at economics, philosophy, um, literature, history, you have people that are teaching literature classes, and you almost have to ask them, well, what makes you more important in the world of literature than me picking up the book and reading it. I'm connecting with the author. Where do you come into play? Oh, wait, you've never run a business, but you're teaching a business course? How could you teach a business course if you've never run a business? Right. So a lot of what you learn comes from people who who went away to college at some point in their life, stayed within the, the sort of idyllic bubble that is a college campus where nobody's really older than 22 years old. You don't ever have to grow up and you don't have to experiencing, experience anything other than whatever pleasures might be available on a college campus. Once you realize that is part of the reason why you don't really understand certain things, you, once you get curious, you will start to hear voices that are coming at you from a perspective of common sense or at least experience. Yeah. And that is sort of that is sort of how that happens. So what what is your do you see a lot of college students or people of that age do you, do you see a lot of people gravitating towards your show now? Yeah, I think we're getting a crowd, you know, we certainly don't do anything to upset um older conservatives, people who've been maybe within the movement or at least the Republican party that are now in their, you know, 50 you know, 50 to 60 years old, maybe even older. But certainly the approach that I take is to be more inviting to young people. I think a lot of conservatives look at younger people and said, you know, they'll figure it out. They'll find us when they're 35. Well, if that's the approach you're going to take, the Democratic Party is going to be there from the day they turn 17 or 18, and by the time they hit 35, they're habitual Democratic voters. Right. We're trying to get people... Uh, and when I say get, I don't mean do anything to to bait them in or uh, appease some of their their uh, the things that they might be engaged in as young people. What we're trying to do is appeal to people who may just start be starting to pay attention for their own, saying, you know, I'm I'm really starting to get curious on my own, or I've got this first job, or I just bought a house, or I just had a child, and these life events are starting to make me think a little bit more mature. Uh, I've listened to all the music I'm ever going to buy. Now I'm looking for something else yeah. on the radio. What do you think about, you know, this week has been so crazy with news, and I was anxious to talk to you with all the things that's going on. How do you, and I see some of these um, kind of the neocons and some some other people, they're, they're, they're salivating at all of these news stories that this is going to be it. Tell me about what your general feeling is with, with the, the, the three to four big stories that have come out this week um, that central center around big government and the Obama, Obama administration. Well, some of, the, some of the big government Republicans, for them, it's just, Partisan. It's just an opportunity to make the current administration look bad. Right. But they would be on the defense if it were in the reverse, and that's kind of the the back and forth between you know two teams in Washington versus people who have principle and say this is wrong, no matter who's doing it. It's 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 wrong to not upgrade your security if you're going to have an embassy, which. We can all have. We can all ask the question: Why do we need to be in some of these countries? That's a perfectly legitimate question. But if we're going to be there, we're not going to leave people with less than appropriate security. 
Um, we're not going to, you know, take guns and let them walk across the Mexican border and then somehow blame that on the Second Amendment or gun control. We're not going to get upset that maybe the media is spending a little too much time on stories like this and the IRS scandal versus the Tea Party. So we're going to go out there and teach the Associated Press a lesson about how not to mess with us. Because, you know, you could force, you, you could see a, a, a Republican president doing this and it would be very chilling for someone like me because if I accept a Republican president doing it, I can't cry about it when a Democrat president does it. Either, either we have principle or we don't. And I think the lesson that should be learned for some of these media types that have done everything in their power to frame Obama in a good light and you know, on up to swooning over him should realize that there's a totem pole, and after a certain point, they go from aiding uh, an administration to being the useful idiot. Yeah. And you know, useful idiots find out that they're useful idiots the hard way. So I, I, I would hope that Republicans, and I, I will have to say this, even the Republicans I complain about a lot, like John Boehner, Republicans are much better at policing their own. That when there's a scandal revolving around a Republican, Republicans are more quick to throw a bad Republican out than, than Democrats are. Democrats tend to apologize. I mean, look, I really kind of hoped Mark Sanford wouldn't run. I was glad to see Larry Craig go. Right. Um, you know, a lot of these guys that, that bring, you know, no Republicans defended uh, Murdoch or others that made, you know, kind of, inarticulate comments about rape uh, during the last election cycle, and Republicans didn't defend them. Um, so, you know, I can get upset at partisan Republicans, but when it comes right down to it, they're slightly better, if not much better, than Democrats when it comes to bad apples in the bunch. But they have to start really regaining a principle, which means it doesn't matter if our guy or their guy does it. When our guy does it, it's just as wrong as their guy doing it. And right now, their guy is doing it, but just remember what you're saying today because there's a thing called YouTube. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think the thing, when I look at it, if I look at a more macro level, I still get a little upset because what you said, I still, if the roles were reversed and we had a Republican administration in right now, I'm not all that convinced that you know, the big government machine still wouldn't be growing. Um, I, I'm not convinced that some of our civil liberties aren't or wouldn't be getting violated. Maybe it's just it's getting amplified now because of, of the more of a progressive movement um, in the White House. But I don't know. I, I, I guess that's what's a challenge for me is I, I don't I don't see anytime soon the big government machine getting any smaller ever. And Well, you know, there's a lot of – the problem is – and you could look at the the Titler cycle of you know politicians promising largesse, you know gifts from the public treasury, bringing about a dictatorship. That when you buy off a substantial portion of the population with multiple layered programs that aren't really paid for, with money coming into the treasury, you first now you you first grant people things that they're not really entitled to. But then as voters, they believe to possess them, and you can't take them away. And when you begin to spend in deficit, when you begin to spend things that you literally do not have, and you have 
No course correction whatsoever. You either debauch the currency and devalue it. You throw the country so deep into debt. You you look to make up the revenues by by gouging you know unpopular industries. You have set a nation, a whole nation, on a course for disaster. And the problem is, you're never going to get the voter to change that course once you hit a tipping point. And we, we you know, we were, it was amazing how Reagan even got elected the first time around, right. but it was so bad then, but there wasn't, there wasn't that many people dependent on government. And over the years, especially during the Clinton years, this thing about welfare reform was such a lie. Um, Republicans began to believe that they could buy their, buy their votes too, with the same ideas as the Democrats, but the Democrats have no limit to what they're willing to give away to get votes. And once that happens, you know, you could, you, Democrats can say, well, you Republicans are just as bad with this. And Republicans tend to campaign that they can better steward bad Democrat ideas. But we have a point now where so many people are dependent on something coming to them from government that those of us that are providing for government are having a hard time keeping up. And there's no end in sight to this. There's, there's, unless, you know, uh, the voters are not going to give up what they reliably believe to be theirs, whether it's some kind of government spending or uh, a low interest loan or whatever it is. So there's so many of us that are tired of the hypocrisy, the bureaucracy. I mean, and, and I say this when I give presentations too, that I think the answer to all of this is getting back to a grassroots level, common sense leadership that begins everywhere. It begins at home, begins with the individual. But I got to tell you, sometimes I get overwhelmed and I think the problem is too big. Who, where are those common sense leaders? Who, who do you look to? Who do you think are the right people to send up there? Because I think the answer is you got to send somebody up there who looks at it literally like you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And I just don't know if those people exist because th- almost everybody that gets in the game is a career politician. Now, there have been you some... Have to be, there has to be people... We, we have met one big event in this country that really put us on this course that we're on was the, the constitutional amendment allowed for the direct election of senators. Yeah. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Democracy is a good thing. People should choose their senators. Yeah, but everything about the Constitution, every single thing about the Constitution was a check and balance, including a check on democracy by having a Republican form of government, a Tenth Amendment that allowed state interests to trump federal interests domestically, but federal interests to trump state interests internationally, or at least with regard to you know, import-export in the border. When you had appointment of senators, senators had their, would be recalled if their state if they were not, you know, promoting their state interests uh, in Washington. But now, just like electing any other politician, all they've got to do now is find their coalition of, of constituent groups, get elected, and then turn Washington money back towards their state and take credit for it. That there are no state interests any, anymore. As a matter of fact, you know, all of the federal politicians think they are endowed with knowledge of what is best for everyone. There's no reason why a senator from Oregon should be dictating citrus policies to the people of Florida. 
There's a reason why there's a governor there, and there's a reason why the governor and the state legislature or the state government would have appointed a representative of their state interests in Washington. Meaning, if a growing coalition of states decided that they were going to ban some chemical federally that was useful in Florida, the Florida, Georgia, whatever interests would would reject that, rather than saying, well, give me highway money and I'll, I'll be okay with it. That, that sort of thing that we were supposed to have a patchwork of interests and we were only supposed to come together when there was a common interest in the general welfare. Now common interest general welfare or common defense of general welfare is framed by whatever the president thinks the polls say. Is there anybody that's carrying the flag to even, I mean, that's a great point about, about the amendment getting changed. When what that was, um, what year was that in the, I don't remember. Was it in the early um, 1900s when that happened? I can't yes, remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know, look. I mean, there are there are you know, Mike Lee is a real, real rock solid constitutional guy. I think Rand Paul has within him an ability to bring together people that would never normally respond yeah. to a Republican candidate. I think Marco Rubio is a, a a very strong conservative. I think he is unfortunately coming to the table with Chuck Schumer and and, and Dick Durbin with a little naivete. Yeah. I, I think if they continue to make this an amnesty, not security bill, he's going to have to walk away. If he does, he really maintains that that credibility. If he goes along to get along, then he's looking to become some kind of of brand. Um. I think that there are there are a lot of good governors like Scott Walker. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I can't you know claim to know all of the state assemblymen and state senators, but there's certainly you know looking at the way many state legislatures flipped to Republican, um, there are a lot of good governors. There there are people. You you ha- one of the things you have to do is free yourself of your pet issue. Yeah. And that's very hard. We're all human beings. We all have a pet issue. But sometimes you have to say, I'm going to be willing to tolerate something about my pet issue for the greater good of the Constitution and principle. Even if that means I don't really like it, I can use my influence to convince people to vote with a change of heart, but I am not going to use government without the, without the approval of the people to do this. So in whatever it is, I mean, it could be, animal rights or, or or something, but you have to be willing to say, to, to, to be honest and say, look, I believe this, but I don't see where the Constitution allows me to do something about it. I know that's tough to hear, but look, that's what the, that's that's what a limited government looks like. Sometimes you got to take wins, it's a series of wins and losses. So I, I don't know who that, who that person is. I, I have a feeling that 2016 is going to be very, very exciting. For Republicans, I think you're going to see some, you know, establishment types. Chris Christie get in. I think you're going to see uh, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio. They're going to have to work out this thing with Ted Cruz. I love Ted Cruz. Me I too. think Ted Cruz is, you know, un- unbelievable for this movement. And I think on the Democratic side, I think you're going to see a very unexciting primary. I think you're going to see Biden, Hillary, and some window, window dressing, and Biden and Hillary beating the hell out of each other. Yeah. But the Republicans have a very exciting uh, road to 2016. So you've got all of America as your schoolhouse here, and, and you've got it's time 
for the subject matter. What is what is Andrew Wickell's subject matter for if you had to teach anything to the Schoolhouse of Americans? Oh wow! Um, one thing that that I, I think I would would want people to understand is the deep wisdom of the Constitution yeah. that. You know, the public education system may have reframed these people as old, white, male, European slaveholders. And slavery is obviously the, the, it is the obvious imperfection would be calling it lightly. I mean, James Madison was one of the first to become very uncomfortable with, um, with slavery. And he wrote about it, that you can't look at a person as, as a human being in property. If a person is property, then the law doesn't apply to them. But if they have faculties and, you know, of a human being, you can't look at them in property. So this, this was this was not all of these men, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, these men were not able to overcome overcome what the, the economic forces that were benefiting from slavery, and that forever we you know we just have to accept. But these men understood monarchies. They understood that that monarchies can quickly turn into theocracies. They understood that 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 government beyond a force of protecting natural rights and, and and the property acquired by our labor was was almost instantaneously going to fall to some form of corruption. And they understood these things, which is why if you look at the Constitution and look at the way we view a president today, no one person that was going to Christ, be part of the composition of government, was going to have any amount of power that was going to allow them to do any real damage. Mm-hmm. You think about it. If you look at the parameters of the president, the word interpretation does not even reside in Article 3 in the construct of the Supreme Court. That that senators were going to be appointed by states and they could be recalled, and all these other things that nobody was going to wield any kind of power that would allow them to do damage. No one body, no no one region, and yet little by little, bit by bit, we have eroded those those separations of powers. We have blurred lines. I mean, presidents issue executive orders, completely circumventing Congress, and you know, it, you know, Congress is loath to do anything about it, especially if the president's party is in power. That that partisans tend to, you know, put principle. You know, after party and what benefit comes their way because we don't respect those limits anymore. And instead of expecting, you know, just when you might think that the populace would have a problem with this, again, government bought off parts of the population long time ago. So, you know, we're all into this mess, you know, everybody trying to plunder from everybody else, you know, why try to fix it? It's just easier to try to get along with the machine than it is trying to dismantle it. Um, but until you find people who are willing to say, I'm going to spend a year to two years on a campaign trail, shaking hands, kissing babies, kissing behinds in many cases to get money, and when I get there, I will ask for nothing of myself, I think you're going to be very hard-pressed to find people like that at this point. Yeah. So what's the future, do you think? I mean, so, what I was saying is what I would what I would be wanting to, to impart would be that this this constitution that we have, you know, not born out of one interest versus another, but the rights of people to have a limited government to live their lives, 
I think once you realize the wisdom beyond the revisionist history, you would realize that these men, although imperfect, were as close to understanding what would make a thriving society, and they even in their own perfection understood that, you know, peoples of the future might want to change it, which is why there's an amendment process. It's not simplistic, it's not immediate, it's not based on a whim or a poll, it's there. Um, that that once you understand this, you will understand what is wrong with this country. We're still a great country, but we have allowed ourselves to become subservient to a, a central planning authority that was never intended to be that powerful. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, too, that the, you hit it on the head, the wisdom when you – and I came to it late. I mean, I've always been patriotic. I've always loved this country. I've always loved history. But I didn't study it like um, I should have until probably the last 10 years. And when you really dig down deep and, and look at what the Founding Fathers were doing, it's almost embarrassing, really, when to, to think about how um, intelligent, how – um, the foresight that they did have, I mean, and compared to what we're dealing with now, compared to the, the intellectual or the leadership that we have in place at all levels of government, and including in, even in business in some cases, they were a lot smarter than a lot of people give themselves credit for. We want to focus on their imperfections, but man, they were so, the, the wisdom you said is really the key. And you do understand that you do get a better, better appreciation for what we're dealing with and what this country is all about. You know, one of the most amazing things that Thomas Paine wrote about was the types of government that exist and the types of people that assume the roles of government and that how, you know, in the past so many people believed that there was some sort of divine power that created them, like kings took their, you yeah. know, were placed on earth by God and the people believed that. Yeah. And that, you know, that when you when you saw that that like hey wait a second why if god you know if we are all made in god's image why would god pick that guy to rule us in perpetuity with an iron hand that doesn't make any sense yeah and you know you look at the, these writers that were were not banging away on a computer or tweeting i mean they had to really sit and contemplate and spend hours putting their thoughts together and the the way they they um they circulated their beliefs and ideas is fascinating. Considering today, you you probably would be hard pressed to find people that, even with all of this technology at our disposal, would be able to to formulate yeah. such an understanding of what could possibly go wrong without limits on government and that sort of thing. Yeah, it seems ironic that with all the technology, with all the information that's out there, so readily available. It's almost like we've become dumber and, and exponentially dumber as as a whole. I, I mean, that's what I what I meant when I said it's almost embarrassing when you think about it. you think about pain and, and how he grew up and thinking about it. and he saw those the aristocrats and the lords and and saw how because whatever that uh, land baron of the lord wherever he was living he didn't like the view and literally had the town you know section of the town completely raised and moved because he didn't like the view from his window. Those are the things imprinted pain to become so passionate about the revolution, you know? And so, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm passionate, I love this country more than anybody can, can think, and, but I, I am nervous about how it's all going to come crashing down, if it, if it is. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's going to come, is it going to get a lot worse before it gets better? I, I, you know, I hope not. Um, 
you know, I, it's funny that that first out of college, all my friends all got really good paying jobs for the age they were at, and I was broke. I mean, I was at one point living on a friend's couch. I was keeping my clothes folded up in the back of my 1987 Jeep Cherokee. Um, I was moving from, you know, looking for jobs in radio, and I didn't want to go home and admit defeat to my parents. So I was, I ended up living in a friend's computer room, got a really good job with a very high-tech company, and he was so bored where he was living, he was like, look, just give me a couple hundred bucks a month. You can crash in my computer room. And I was literally for the, for a year living on this blow-up mattress I bought at a camping supply store. All I had to my name was my clothes and some DJ equipment. And I, you know, I started working at this local Top 40 radio station two days a week and DJing at a strip club. Not exactly proud of it, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I did. Right. And, you know, over the years, for about the first... 10 years out of college, um, you know, all my friends had good paying jobs and I was just kind of getting by. And it seemed, unfortunately, that the time when I started to really catch on in my business, when I started to be able to get out of debt, afford to get married and all those things, it was kind of bad for everyone else and a lot of my friends. And I don't want to believe that what's bad for America is good for me. Yeah. You know, I don't want... Look, I mean, it's, it's... For this industry that's kind of in a massive flux right now because of all the t technology. Now, I'm not one of the biggest players in the business, but given where I started and the opportunities that were afforded to me in this business, which were very few in the beginning, I, I I'm better off now than I've ever been and at the same time that breaks my heart so it's you know I, I I can't complain about myself but it really sickens me that like I, I have to I have to have a country that's in, in some kind of state of decline I hope I'm not permanent to attract an audience I mean, I never set out to do this. I wanted to be a rock morning DJ. I started my career in music radio. I mean, I did, that's all I ever wanted to do was be a music DJ. I don't even know why I went to college looking back. I and mean, I thought you needed a, some kind of broadcast journalism degree to spin records. I don't know. Right. But, what? Oh, I said right. I was just, I was just. That, you know, I just, I, that's what I thought. I thought that's what you do. Your guidance counselor says, hey, you should, you know, try to get into a broadcast program. Um, I, I really. I really do fear that there that that too many people are invested in being promised things from government that that there'll be no political will to turn the deficit around. I mean government gets the best and the first of everything. Yeah. And if people keep electing you and you it's his BS promise versus her BS promise. Well, one of the BSers is going to get elected. Now you just got to figure out a way to make it you, which is to promise more free stuff. You know, once once there's no interest in reining in this this out of control rating of our treasury, our, our currency, our private property that we're supposed to believe these economists that 
you know, the Treasury can just do all of these things, and the Federal Reserve can do all of these things, and it's all going to work out eventually if we just get it right, instead of saying all of this is the reason why we're getting it wrong. But until the voter is willing to say, hey, I, I don't know that this voting like this is worth it anymore, I don't see the way out. Yeah. And that frightens me. It frightens me too. And I think that, um, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, you do such great work. And I think that's why, um, and I know you didn't set out to go this way. And I, and I, and I appreciate you sharing that kind of insight that it, that it sickens you. And that, that says a lot about you and your character, but it also kind of points to the success of the show and kind of the mission of what you're trying to do. You know, I checked out like when I, at, uh, after the, um, I was so, I'm a political junkie and I was so kind of OD'd after the election and pulled back. And, you know, kind of the genesis of the podcast was like, well, I'm going to start talking to some of these entrepreneurs, these leaders, these people that I admire. And it, and it's, it's good and refreshing, like I said, because you can find so many examples in this great country of people who are so enthusiastic and so positive and they're crushing it and they're making things happen. They're creating jobs. And what, and that excites me. But on the other end, I get scared because of what you said is like, how, because it never gets smaller. And at some point it's going to come crashing down. And maybe that's a good thing. And maybe there'll be some pain and, 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 and we'll get going on the right course. But it just seems so corrupt to me. And, and that, that's what scares me. And I don't know how to reverse it. And I think the only, the only solution is like you said, is getting people, everyday people, to understand that we all have a leadership obligation, every single one of us. We all have an obligation. We have an obligation to learn what this country was founded on. We, we have an obligation to learn what's in the Constitution. And again, I think that's part of what your show does and, and what's great about its mission. So I appreciate what you do anyway from from a, from a single fan on here. I'm sure there's many out there that feel the same way. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Andrew, I, I screwed up at the beginning. I forgot. About, I hear you talk about your TV show. I don't I don't, to be quite honest, I didn't know where it was. So let's inform everybody about your show. You just got picked up. You work with, um, the, are you part, you're part of the Blaze, right? With the. Yeah, well, it's, it's Blaze. Uh, Glenn Beck started it, uh, the idea a couple of years ago. Uh, it started as just, you know, internet television, um, on the website. Then there was the Roku box, which is sort of an internet antenna for a television, and they got a channel there. Um, then the success of that led to being picked up by Dish Network, and then about 10 other smaller cable systems have signed on in the past year, and now we launch on Cablevision, one of the largest providers right. uh, in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, come three weeks from now. So the, the network has grown. I have a primetime show, 7 p.m. Um, Eastern, and it's just been, it's been a very wild ride being part of a, a growing network. Uh, the way it must have felt to be part of Fox News around 1995, the way I, I did feel when I first joined Sirius in 2006, when people were like, what's that Cyrus radio? <laughs> uh, you know, now, 22 million subscribers later, it's, you know, everybody knows what it is. So this is a very, very exciting time. I, I never had any TV experience when they hired me, i got to be honest. Mm -hmm. They asked me to fill in for Glenn once. I had never even talked into a camera, other than being a guest. So it, I, I gave it my best shot. They invited me back. And next thing I know, I was signing a contract to do a TV show. And awesome. we launched September 10th of last year. So we're coming up on, on one year. That's great. Well, I don't have Dish. And so I don't have cable. And I live out in the country. And I have um, 
DirecTV, is there any? Do you think it'll eventually expand? Yeah, I think that? that I think there's a grassroots effort to get DirecTV to uh, to pick up on it. Um, you know, I have it at home on on uh, my Roku box, which I my God, that is, I love that little piece of technology. It's like eighty dollars, and it just it sends anything that's online in, in in a video form right into your television without framing. It's like watching broadcast TV, but off the internet. I mean, it filters it. There's no framing. There's no pixelation. There's no download time. You can watch. Netflix, The Blaze, I mean, The Wall Street Journal's got a channel that's like, honestly, it's like, like, it, it, when, once you open it up and you click on the, the, uh, the icon to, to, to get it going, it's just, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, if you're a progressive, there's the Huffington Post channel and stuff, but I think we're one of the few live content, uh, providers. I think other, other people have videos that they put up that they would normally put on a website, but I think we're one of the few uh, live providers. There's Liberty Bell Radio, which is conservative, uh, internet radio, uh, station. And there's like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Video, or Amazon Movies, which it's a very cool little piece of technology. What, it's very what is the box called? What is it called? Roku. R-O-K-U. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've seen that. Yeah. Very inexpensive. And believe me, having my, da- all my daughters, three-year-old daughters TV shows on demand, lifesaver. Yeah, I life- can imagine. Life- I can imagine. Lifesaver. Yep. Well, guys, Andrew, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. It's been a real, no problem. been real fun talking to you. And uh, All right. stay on the line here for a second while I stop the recording, and then we'll clean up some things. But uh, I just want to thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.